This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking food today, something we don't do often enough, but it, uh, it's often a little bit harder when we talk about media to work food under the schedule. We're talking about the AFR's ATR, which stands for the Australian Financial Review and Australia's Top Restaurants. They named Australia's Top 100 Restaurants last night. The um, Our two guests today, Terry Durack and Jewel Duplay, are called the directors, I think, of this event. Although, guys, you didn't actually rate and rank these restaurants, did you? That's the whole point of these <laughs> ones, actually. They, that's our unique point of difference uh, for these awards. They are voted for by the chefs and the restaurateurs and rather than us. That's why we love them, because uh, with normal uh, awards, when it's the food critic who is uh, calling the shots... Um, you often get uh, emails from uh, irate chefs wondering why you didn't <laughs> score them higher. In these awards, we have nothing to do with it. They have to blame the other chefs, not us. Yeah. Look, I want to talk to both of you a little bit separately after we cover the um, Australia's Top Restaurants about your background and, and why you are the perfect sort of directors for this event, I guess. But first of all, let's cover off this event. So this is these restaurants are judged by peer, peer group, really, right? So yeah. the, the actual chefs. Now, you have a list of 500. That must be quite a database. It's a, actually a huge resource, um, untapped at this stage, but we're thinking about it. Um, <laughs> With contact details for each one <laughs> of them, right? Yeah. Uh, we know we know the chef, the sous chef, the front of house. <laughs> yeah, we got it all. Um, no, the, the, the secret to it is that Terry and I and an advisory panel of top food editors and industry experts put together the overall list, the the um, the the panel, I suppose, if you like, of the top 500 restaurants in Australia. And we update that every single year. And then for the Australia's Top Restaurants Awards, each one of those is sent an invitation to vote for their top 10. And then the algorithms and computers take over and spit out the top 100 in order as voted by Australia's top chefs. What is the response rate like from... um the people you approach? It's pretty good, actually. Um, normally, we get votes from, if, if there, are, there are 500 or up, uh, I think we get at least, over the last four years, at least 380 uh, wow. of, of them vote. The, uh, really the response uh, initially is dreadful, <laughs> and then Terry gets on the email, and there's something about an email coming popping into your box uh, from Terry Durack saying... Hello, would you mind <laughs> voting before the end of the day? That actually works wonders. I'm actually a bit smarter than that. It doesn't look like we've heard from you, but if you've already <laughs> voted and we've misplaced it, please let me know. You know. Okay. So, look, we know chefs are so busy. Yeah. We know that they only get to look at their email on the phone, um, having a break, or at midnight after service with a beer. So... You or know, in between Instagramming the uh, Yeah, when the they're not Instagramming. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's not an onerous task. But And the interesting thing is when we started four years ago, uh, we actually we lived in dread a bit that the number one top restaurant in Australia would be the Golden Century in Chinatown because we knew that's where all the Sydney <laughs> guys go at midnight, you know, to have a beer and an abalone congee. Um <laughs> It's and, a perfectly and, nice restaurant, but, oh, it's great. but is it a we better restaurant than Attica or Sea Beer? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> so, in other words, we worried whether they'd take it seriously, whether they'd just vote for their mates or for their sort of um, late night dive, and they actually did take it seriously. And so, what in, it ends up with is a really interesting sort of mix. It's a different mix to the sort you'd get as from restaurant critics. Um, but it also does reflect how we're dining today, as in, yes, the fine dining places are there, but there's a lot more the package up great food in a fun sort of environment and much more casual that really rate highly. I say that Golden Century still rates pretty highly. I think yes, it's, it's about it does. 38 this It year. does pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so it should because it gets all the chefs in. And one of the things about how they vote here is they have to have eaten in the restaurant. And okay. we know for sure that practically every chef in New South Wales has eaten at the Golden Century. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is a national... We, we struggle a bit with the fact that it's national because obviously 
the restaurants are weighted towards the eastern seaboard uh, and Melbourne and Sydney in particular. And so the proportion of votes in the top 500 reflect that. And so we try and encourage them to vote for interstate as well as their own state. And and it's, it is getting more and more even, but... You don't, does, don't discount votes, do you, for or pump up ones from... From smaller states, or no, 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 we don't. We just keep it because we figure that the, however it pans out, that is a reflection of where the chefs are eating. That's all we can say, and what they rate. And even with the obvious advantage of Melbourne and Sydney, we saw this year, for instance, South Australia. Mm. I mean, it really reflected what's happening in Adelaide and the wine growing regions, the restaurants there. They added, I think, eight new ones in the top 100. It's sort of like, oh, okay, you're on the radar now. There's a generational change. There's some really interesting ethnic restaurants. The winery restaurants um, have received massive investment architecturally and every other way. And so... And so those things are being reflected, which is good. I think the truth is the restaurants there that have added onto the list are of a certain quality. It's required. And I think if you weren't chefs and you didn't have to eat there and you were a a, a restaurant observer, a writer, and you had to write down the top 500 restaurants in Australia, I think you would find whoever you are, at least two-thirds of them would be Sydney and Melbourne. Sure. That's yeah. just yeah, going to happen because yeah. that is the truth. That is where the highest quality restaurants yeah. reside. It's, it's and where the population is too. too. Yeah, yeah. 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 absolutely. Right. I mean, I've been on the um, radio today in Western Australia because they're going, well, hang on. Um, <laughs> they're not very happy. <laughs> yeah, they're not ecstatic. Uh, and I can quite happily take those sort of calls because, <laughs> as Terry said, it's not our fault. Um, however, I did... I, I tried to explain, yes, tyranny of distance and numbers. They've got four mm. represented on the top Which 100. Which is more than Queensland. They should be... No, it's the same as Queensland. Yeah, Queensland. Neither of them are having their place in the sun this year. Um, but then we said that about uh, South Australia last mm. year and then look what happened. So I'm sort of trying to say that I did make the point, however, and I don't know how well it went down, <laughs> um, that... One of the things that's happening in Adelaide is we're seeing a lot of leadership by the chefs in creating their own path and following their own sort of passion. So you've got Jock Sonfilo at Arana, for instance, who is virtually built this restaurant as a method of reconciliation. He's really studying uh, native ingredients. He's working with elders, etc., to maintain the, cul- the, the culinary and the cultural significance of of these uniquely Australian ingredients. And then you've got Africola, mad Duncan Velgamud, who's channeling his African and South African and North African sort of flavours through in this mad party time (coughs) atmosphere. They are not doing things by the book. They, because there is that sort of rat bag quality about (laughs) Adelaide, I reckon, and that sort of... Uh, synergy they have with their wine growing winemakers and everything. They're sort of all in it together and that's pushed them forward. It's not just that. It's also that each of the guys you talk about have made sure that they are their their uh, impact <coughs> is being felt throughout the country. I mean, we are talking about Orana uh, yeah, in Sydney. It's where, true. I mean, Transcends. So, yeah. Whenever we have um, chefs uh, help out at other chefs' restaurants in Sydney, more often than not, the guy from Africola will be involved, or you know. Oh that, yeah, they travel a lot. Yeah. They get they get out and they yeah. And no, I think that's true. what's happening. Whereas we're not seeing the same thing happen from uh, Queensland, for example, or or yeah. way over in the west. I mean, it, it yeah. Oh, we should shut up now. And let you ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're married, can't you? We just keep talking and talking and talking. But I mean, you mentioned Africola, top ten spot. It's I think it's gradually climbed up each year. A restaurant seems to get a real momentum, and then the more people hear about it, the more people go and try it, and then it. Yeah, it's true, and it must give them confidence too to just take it on to the next level, like any small business, really. You know, and so they'll invest more in themselves. They'll invest heavier in their staff. There's a lot of interesting things going on now with the uh, fine. Di- I mean, Terry and I've been around for you know, 300 years, we've probably seen so many different culinary movements um, from Nouvelle Cuisine in the early 1980s when it got to Australia to all the science-based <laughs> spherification and 
uh, New Nordic of the Spanish <laughs> Everyone era. Everyone going out into uh, the trees and dragging New up Nordic, roots and things. The foraging. Yeah. Um, but it's fantastic what's happening right now because I think it's just getting more real. And for Australia, and that is a legacy of this um, sort of Nordic movement, we are concentrating more on being Australian and sort of trying to do things our way. And the chefs know, well, we've always called them cockroaches because <laughs> <laughs> because they're in and out of each other's kitchens a lot. They actually do know who's doing what, who's sort of um, pushing things forward, who's losing the plot a bit. And so the list does actually reflect that. It makes it quite interesting. These are interesting awards because it actually is chefs for chefs. It's mm. chefs on chefs for chefs. And chefs love being with chefs. It's you know, true. And uh, at the awards evening, you know, I mean, they had such a good time because they were with other chefs who they knew and respected and, and liked. And also just the very thought that these guys around who they regard as their equals or even their superiors have deigned to vote for them. I mean, yeah, that, it makes a special spirit, doesn't it, mm. in the room because there's a lot of love actually. And I also think the fact that it's presented by the Finn Review is um, it gives it a a, a more more credence, but also we link it very strongly with the business of restaurants. So all the editorial we do to support the awards is looking at different issues that affect the business, the 457 visas, um, the way they Instagram, their real engagement of social media, um, why the rise of regional restaurants and what are their particular problems. And so we just try to make it Interesting to the reader, obviously, but also helpful to the industry to give it a bit of a foundation, a platform to keep going. Now, Jill and Terry, both long-time food writers, food critics, um, I think both still part of the Good Food Guide um, restaurant review panel. Yeah, we're um, on the panel, yes. What, what is more painful for a, for a chef in his restaurant to get a poor review from his peers or to get a poor review from the Good Food Guide? Well, both would reflect um, fairly realistically, I think, what's really happening. So there is some sort of comparison between the two. They both sort of... Yeah, although the chefs aren't given that platform to do a poor review. No. Whereas that's our job. Yes. To, yeah. um, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, well, I guess we... I mean, yeah, a low ranking, I guess, yeah, in, yeah, in, okay, in this yeah, one. Yeah, a low, a low ranking, oh, I think which th- would equate they to both hats hurt. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they really hurt. I mean, they we, we have a few guys who have slipped on our list, I mean, who, who maybe last year were uh, number 20 or number 24 and now 78, wow. thinking what, what went wrong. And mm. they ask us, and we, well, we don't know, you know, because we didn't vote. Um, but when it's uh, us writing as food critics, um, yeah, they can, they can sting. Uh, in, in the old days, I'm not sure that we actually hold the same sort of sway that we used to uh, because now everyone goes online and everyone's on Instagram or sure. whatever. Uh, but it, it used to be really harsh. I mean, I remember when I wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald back in 94, 95, I mean, almost the only voice here, you know, which is crazy in a place this big. Uh, and, yes, you really hurt, and, yes, you heard about it mm. from, from the chefs. Yeah. I think reviewing has changed too. It's now, uh, it's now more constructive perhaps. Um I don't think the reviewers are really out there to like promote themselves and re- reference themselves all the time as used to happen a lot. Um, I could see some of the really low and really high scores in those 80s and 90s were more about read this, selling papers, uh, than necessarily, you know, they just push it to make it something a bit out of the ordinary. Whereas now... We go to restaurants and we just try and work out what are these people trying to do and how well are they doing it. And if it's missing something, we try to, I don't know, uh, be constructive about how to... We try to be constructive, to, yeah. We try to, to offer to... advice about uh, what... I mean, there's a story I, I tell when I worked in England uh, and I reviewed and, and Antonio Caluccio opened a chain of... Um, uh, it's called Caluccio Cafes, weren't Yeah, they? they're like Italian. And uh, I went to the one. And this is when you were writing for The Independent? In, yeah, 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 for The Independent in London. Sunday. And I went to one and um, it was pretty dreadful, to be honest. And, and I said so. And, mm. and But 
a month later, I was at an event with Antonio and his wife were there. And, of course, they spotted me across the crowd. And she came up and I just thought, here we go. <laughs> right. And what she said was, okay, every word you said was taken into account, was spoken to all the staff. We are going to put so many changes in. We want you to come back in two months and tell us what you think. And that from that time on, we became friends. And I'd, I'd never spoken with either of them before until that stage. And that's what, what can happen. But uh, I think it's more likely to happen over there than over here. No, no, I think it's, it just shows uh, respect for yeah. your view and you have respect for theirs. And it was just a yeah. terrific, mature attitude. The other thing about England is that you can virtually say anything you like. I don't know if you read you know, <laughs> reviewers like A.A. Gill, mm. uh, Giles Curran and The Times. I mean, they often are outrageous in what they say. And... and that they, they, they want to be hurtful, they want to be spiteful, and they want to be laughed at. And uh, that doesn't happen here. Well, it can't happen here because anyone who's tried it ends up getting sued, as you probably right. heard over the years. Yes. Um, and because our laws are very tough. And so it's like um, if you can't say what you say, score it. <laughs> because <laughs> you can't be sued for giving someone 13 out of 20. Right. You, just, you just can't. Yeah. But if you say something nasty in Australia, you're going to get them into trouble. Say something nasty in England and you're going to become a hero. Yeah. Well, Adrian Gill, who's a brilliant writer and a brilliant mind, always said that the purpose of his restaurant review column was to sell newspapers. Mm. It, was, it wasn't to hook up. Like Terry might think evangelistically that he's connecting great restaurants with their tribe of diners and, you know, um, to hope, and, and he does. He writes well enough about a place for you to know if you're reading it whether you're going to enjoy it or not, whether it's for you. Um, so he sees that as his role in life. Adrian, no, it's fairly honest. <laughs> he I'm was very amused when, when, when I said, I actually care about the restaurants and I care about the chefs. And I think he actually laughed in my face. <laughs> he, he said, I care about selling papers. Mm. Well, I'm sure you sell a lot of copies of Tuesday Sydney Morning Herald. Um, and anyway, Terry, with your uh, reviews, just a couple more questions before I broaden this out a little bit about the um, the top 100, the the ATR. There, um, Matt Moran was uh, catering. His group was, I think, catering to the event last night. Now, poor Matt's restaurant came in at 95R, which I guess is his flagship. Aria, I mean, would that have hurt, do you think? Was that no, a, not at all. That, it would have hurt if he had not been on the top 100 list. <laughs> was getting close. Now that would have hurt. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's no, still I a good think, thing, I guess, to make the list, I guess, wherever you are. Absolutely. But yeah. also he knows that it was only very recently that he sort of rebooted the okay. whole Aria thing. I mean, Joel Bickford only started there, what, about six weeks about ago? About four weeks ago, so yeah. So after the okay. voting. Yeah. So this is going to take time for this. It will, and, and, and yeah. it will happen because he's already having a lot of uh, interest shown in him, This is the new chef at Aria. And I, I can see Aria rocketing up the charts next year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, though, about um, because it's, it's as if it's an industry award, and so mm. it does count... On an it's, emotional hmm. level as well as yeah. Um, well, I was thinking power. too about um, Neil Perry. I mean, Rockpool Bar and Grill is in the sixties, I think, from memory. Yeah, uh, seventy it is. Um, so these are both very established, long-standing restaurants. Where the, I guess, if you're a chef with a night off, you probably want to go somewhere new. Is that part it's of it as well? New, do you think? Or, well, it's got a real buzz. Or yeah, that's right. And they certainly have their favourites. So the top restaurant for New South Wales, the state of New South Wales, is not as you might expect, key or mm. sepia. It's a funny little gorgeous um, fire-driven uh, restaurant in the back streets of Chippendale called Esther. Esther. And chefs just adore it because it's beautiful food. It's straight from the oven. There's an honesty about it, but there's also a real creativity and it's fun and you can sit up at the bar and it's it's just a really great package of people who are very serious about their food but don't take that seriousness into formality or, or anything. It's not even incredibly expensive, is it? No, it's so not. They're, they're more inclined to go there. Then they have that relationship, that connection. They know the guys behind the bar, et cetera. And so, yeah, that comes to mind. But that's an interesting example there because what you're talking about is a restaurant that is really hooked onto all the contemporary trends at the moment. And you're saying, why are some places sliding? Mm. I mean, you look at what the trends are. 
wood fire, right? Here's, here's a, a restaurant tick. with an oven, <laughs> a wood fire oven so big in their kitchen, there's barely room for the chefs, right? So that, that's one. Natural wine list, right? Which is becoming the natural wine list is fantastic. Sitting at a counter. Tick. <laughs> You've got all these stools lined up along the counter. Okay, yeah. And it, when you go there, if, if you went there tonight, it'd be like walking into a chef's canteen. Half the people there will be in the industry. Right. And Every good city has places like that. I mean, and we get around Australia as much as we can. And if we're in Melbourne and we're feeling like, you know, some that, we would go to Cumulus. cumulus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, married. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and and that's fantastic to for a city to have that. Yeah. I, I think it's a good thing that it's sort of disrupting the uh, the, the high end fine dining thing. Uh, whereas if you look at who was the top restaurant in Victoria, uh, it's nothing like um, our, our, our Esther in Sydney. It's no, a that's restaurant right. that's way out, three hours drive out of town in the west of Victoria, uh, with their own chickens and growing all their own vegetables called Bray, and uh, not only the top restaurant in Victoria, it was the top restaurant in Australia sure. this year for the second year running. Um, but it's the complete opposite. This is a man who makes everything on the plate look like a work of art. Uh, he does things, I mean, he does a thing, uh, you start with snacks, you know, and we're not talking uh, anchovies and chips and olives, no, we're, we're talking about things like little jewels on a plate that have taken so many hours to create. Uh, it's it's the opposite in every way, and I think this happens from state to state. If you look at who the the the, the, the top restaurants in each state, they all have their own sort of, but they're all of now. They're all contemporary. Mm. Mm. I'm just interested. Bear with me again. A question about the 500. Is it exactly 500, or is it roundabout? I mean, if you put one on, have you got to take one off? It's exactly yeah, totally, 500. Exactly. So that's. Okay, so that yeah. must take a bit of maintenance. Yeah, it does. It's <laughs> updated every year. And obviously some things are easy. That They've, you know, seven have closed. Yeah, so okay. we need This year alone, more. three shut two weeks ahead of when we wow. had the hit print. <laughs> so uh, that, that, that was troublesome. Not just that you had to take the three off. You had to find the three who were going to be worthy of inclusion. And, and that, and know. we have to keep the proportions um, similar, state by state, and we have to sort of know, just be on the ground and know uh, if someone's sort of losing it a bit. Um, there should be some natural attrition anyway, uh, and sometimes people are, I mean, I'd love it to be a top thousand Restaurants in oh, Australia. I would. No, five hundred is actually fun. But, 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 but you know, in this year's list, a hundred of those five hundred are, are new to the list, right? And that's that's a hell of a switch around from one, from one year to the next. Yeah. Are uh, chefs, um, even though there's five hundred, do you get much feedback? They say, "Oh, look, I wouldn't mind voting for this one, but it's not on the." The top 500, do you get much feedback like that? Not much. We At the start, we The first we couple did. of years we built that into the actual voting system, if there's someone here at it, and we didn't get a lot. So we sort of dropped, I think, actually, yeah, I think the, the, the format changed and we couldn't do it the following year. Um, and they haven't sort of found other ways to contact us to say that. So that tells me the 500 is pretty up-to-date and pretty... Uh, good as far as they're concerned. What we have changed is that early on we actually had a list of, of our choice of the top chefs for them to choose uh, the, the the top chef and quite a few of them said, oh, the guy I would choose isn't on this list. So we thought, oh, okay, right. no yeah. lists anymore. And okay. so last year we introduced that, that you just choose who you think is the top chef in Australia. Okay. Yeah, it, as a special award. Yeah. And, that's separate what, and that's what happened. List. Right, okay. And uh, this year, of course, that went to um, Josh Nyland, yeah? Yeah. He looks very young. Is he as long, he young is as he looks? 28. Wow. He's, he's 29, I think, <laughs> 29. but he looks about 20. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's amazing. He's just an incredible... Uh, uh, St. Peter's, his restaurant. Yeah, in, um, yeah, in Oxford in Street, Paddington. He's... Um, the industry just love him because he has totally drilled down on one subject, one protein, fish, and explored it in the most sustainable way possible. So, you know how when you go to Japan, you know, you walk into a 
a shop that's been run by five generations of one family and they do nothing but a particular type of knife. Mm. You know, that one thing done well sort of culture that we've rarely seen in the restaurant industry in Australia because, like all of us, we sort of have to be very good at a number of things in order to get by. And so we see that as a maturing of the industry to have people specialise to their particular passion and and still be a sustainable business. So we're really excited. I think I like your expression Peter, for him. You actually call what he does scale to tail, which I, <laughs> yes, I read because and, he uses every single thing of the fish. The eye will get used for something. Scales get used for something. He uses the liver. Uh, and, and, and he's just about fish. Now, this is the only seafood restaurant I know of in the world that doesn't have a skerrick of meat on right. the menu. Right. Mm. And, uh, it's a real statement restaurant. Yeah. And and he even dry ages his fish. Now, aging fish might seem like the complete opposite of common sense, but uh, it, it does add flavour. It only works with certain fish, of course, and they have to be of certain size uh, to work. Um, but, but he's made an art of it. Uh, many of these restaurants, hard places to get into for the for the average um, yeah. foodie. Yeah, probably about 20 of them are, you're going to have to really think ahead. Mm. Um, uh, like, for instance, Key here in Sydney is about to reopen next week or this week. Yeah, they've been closed next for three week. months. And that would yeah. explain it slipping down a little bit this exactly. year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. It's been closed for three months for an enormous rethink, okay. and uh, and when it opens, those bookings are just <laughs> going to go crazy. Well, they already have opened, and and on the opening day, no, it was the opening hour. They got eight hundred calls for reservations. Oh no, yeah, yeah. So good luck with that. So one. they're struggling <laughs> to get in this year. I'd be guessing. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, harder yeah. for us because we can't can't preserve under our own names. Yes, no. <laughs> and it's weird. Sometimes it's weird that you try everything on. That's, uh, <laughs> I know that's. I've I've gotten to the point now where I, I have what do they what do they call them? Not bleeder phones. What do you call it in a in a James Bond movie? You have these mobile phones, burner phones, oh, burner, burner phones. phones. I need some burner phones <laughs> so that I get this phone number that they can't track. Well, we have been doing that, and we open various um, uh, e- email accounts to, to so we can actually reserve Stop online. Stop giving and, our secrets away. <laughs> and the different names. I have to know. That I don't even remember what my name is half the time. I don't go along to a restaurant now. Okay, yeah, I've got so many names. Now, this is obviously for the, the financial review likes this because it gives it some prestige in this sort of, which well, I guess yeah. is a, a booming business category. Michael well, Stutchbury said last night, look, they write a lot about food now because it's... um Yeah, well, think about their read- readership. Mm. Um, they are probably the most engaged and supportive diners in the country at all levels, not just the high end, but um, and entertaining and um, just personal passion. Uh, so and they know they're educated diners too. So it's very interesting for the for them. We might try and build in some sort of readers' choice or something okay. as well next idea. year. Yeah. Uh, although I love the fact that it is the chefs. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, Keep would... the public out of it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want the logies things. <laughs> do you do you think many of the um AFR readers almost use this as a shopping list. Yes, I do. They go through the year and they might just tick off and go, okay. Yeah, we've heard that. We've heard that bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it isn't only them either. Anyone who's interested in food or interested in in dining out uh, have a copy of that list and they, you know, tick, tick, tick. Sure, (laughs) sure. Okay, fantastic. Look, that's the um, AFR's. Um, Australia's top 100 restaurants. It's fascinating. There's a wraparound in the Fin Review, which is on. Um, probably won't be on sale when you listen to this podcast, but it'll, it's all online and they've yes, got them it all is there. On and they're, they're ranked, and you can click different buttons and they change the ranking order, and you can yeah. go for, headline but, the states. And, and that's so the fun a, part, too, resource. isn't it, of having it online now? And Ed Tadros has put together this thing where, yeah, you can use different filters and you can see the whole thing. It's really good. Yeah. Now let's just talk a little bit about you two. Now we both originally are Victorians by birth, uh, copywriters in Melbourne, where I presume you probably met. Yeah, in the pub. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> well, that, it started... Well, actually, no, in the, in the agency. The agency I worked for was invited to the agency that she works for to have a drink after 
hours on a Friday night and we met and instantly took a dislike to each other. <laughs> uh, 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 I was at Ogilvy and Mather yeah. and in charge of, um, uh, well, it just annoyed me that none of the agencies ever spoke to each other and there was sort of hostility and uh, competitiveness and I went, okay, well, first Friday of every month, let's invite a different agency over on Friday night and just have a sort of a get to know you which caused create havoc with everyone hiding all their new business pictures behind <laughs> cupboards every Friday night. Um, and you were then at Spasm, Spasm. Mm. Singleton, Palmer, Strauss and, and McCallum. And just a few famous uh, earlier advertising Australian names in just in that yeah, sure, title we, we alone. We saw ourselves as the a Victorian creative hotshot agency okay. and Ogre and Maver were the great big, stayed, solid, stolid, <laughs> boring thing. <laughs> and so when we were told we all had to go over there and have a drink, we all sort of hid around the corner in the pub Yeah, and uh, our, our, our GM came in and ordered us out and ordered us to go <laughs> to the drinks, which we did. Yeah, and then we met in the town hall pub again the following week and yep. the rest is history. Yep. Um, but uh, and they were amazing days. Oh my God, it was such fun being in advertising in the eighties, and uh, learnt a hell of a lot. But of course, also learnt to eat out. Right. Yeah. And then when we did get together, it was like we just spent all our money travelling, eating, going to cooking classes around the world, coming back, and then we got so incensed with the um, the Age Good Food Guide one year <laughs> that I just penned a sort of angry but constructive uh, letter and sent that in and they went, oh, that's actually pretty good and published it and said, if you want to write any more, then let us know. Well. <laughs> they didn't know who they were talking did. to. <laughs> well, they Bombarded. didn't know that I'd always wanted to be a journalist and okay. hadn't done the right subjects and wasn't able to do that, so became an advertising copywriter and then suddenly I saw this, oh, this is fantastic. And we started writing for in the oldest way possible, you know, writing articles and sending them off to by post to our favourite magazines around the world, and uh, getting rejection slips, and then just slowly it started happening. Um, yeah, that's um, how, how I started. And we sort of slowly moved from advertising, copywriting, and creative directors. I stayed to this. advertising longer, but what was happening towards the last few years in, in advertising was I was only doing. I think it was three days a week. Yeah, three and days then, a week and, at the and campaign palace. And the rest palace. of the week I was yes. actually writing for The Age and, and various things actually and uh, the odd thing for the Sydney Morning Herald up here. And then it just, it, it virtually, uh, it changed after I shifted up to Sydney in 94. It does give us a, a fairly unique perspective to have been eating out for so bloody long. <laughs> yeah. And to still love it. I mean, we, 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 we talk about chefs and... Um, various eras of, of eating out and you're talking to a chef who's like 27 or yeah, <laughs> 28 years old um, and they just look at you with blanks. They're saying, no idea who you're talking about. Well, it's uh, all happened before they were born. Uh, but we Joe think it's important. Robichon, who's that? You know? No, we think it's important. You've got to have context for whatever you do, uh, perspective. And, and we also know a lot of where their tricks come from too. Oh, yeah. I mean, we know which <laughs> chef is stealing from which chef because we've eaten the original. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you both worked in the UK. I think um, we mentioned, uh, Terry, you were at The Independent. Oh, I was in The Independent for nine, nine years. Yeah. yeah, and you were at The Times, yeah, I think. Yeah, um, we actually moved because Jill? I was offered that job as cookery okay. editor of The wow. Times. It was called was, The Times Cook, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they, they called it, the. it's very sweet, they <laughs> called it The Times Cook. And I was actually unbelievably the fourth Times Cook since that role had been created in 1955. Wow. I mean, it's just so English, so beautiful. Um, and they must have been feeling incredibly millennial to actually get uh, uh, to to hire someone from Australia, a food writer from Australia, to take that position in 2000. And it was such fun. We'd called it Jill and Terry's Big Adventure. <laughs> so let's go over for two years we and see was, what happens. We thought it was two years. I mean, we thought, okay, it'll be two years. And when I went over, I didn't have a job. In fact, I didn't have a job at all for six months. And all the work I was doing was for Australia. I was still writing articles for Gourmet Traveller and uh, Sydney Morning Herald and things like that. And then I got this job offer out of the blue because it's very hard to, to get a job as a, a restaurant critic in England because... Well, all the critics there, I mean, the Evening Standard critics been there for 40 years. 
Uh, yeah, uh, Faye uh, yeah, Adrian Gill had been there for like 16 years. No one's got to give their job up. Unfortunately, I actually found a newspaper that had no restaurant critic and thought, yeah, and thought they, they might start it. one. And so I was just lucky that I was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. I wonder if people look at the cinema and Herald and wonder that about you these days, think, oh, how can I get him? This, yeah, I bet they this, do. this guy's got it Big locked thing. up. Well, actually, they don't have to worry. And we're constantly being asked, how do I, you know, get your job? And we just say, do it. You know, yeah. you've got every opportunity these days. You don't have to it's a lot write easier these stories days, right? and post them to mm. magazines well, the way what? we did. We just keep saying to yeah, them, right. first of all, write some stuff, send them to us. We're happy to critique and send it back. But also start a blog. Mm. Do your own thing. Um and just learn your craft and have a go at it and do it in your own voice. Don't try to copy Terry. Do it, you know, and, and so we want more voices. I don't agree it's easier. I think it's much harder now. I mean, okay. you know, in the old days you could you could be trained up as a journalist. I mean, there are now very few openings. I think very few newspapers. There are very few uh, opportunities that exist. And... Um, I, I think it is how to use it. I mean, you can get lucky. You can say, oh, I'll actually start a blog and and then it just happened to hit the right subject at the right time and, and everybody sort of, um, you know, gets into you. But mm. I, I do think it's much harder because I, I don't know what advice to give anyone because I get emails all the time saying, what should I do? How do I start? Um, there are no starts. You just It's just sheer luck. Yeah, I mean... So- Still, Fairfax, for instance, will take on a certain number of interns and we've had a real success story with one of ours, um, a young bloke called Callan Boys, and he had another job, career entirely, but a great love and uh, increasing knowledge of food and dining out and became a, a, a proper intern yep. f- through Fairfax. I don't, they used to call them cadets when I was... He started off on the guide, and that, yeah, which, and which is how we came across him, and we saw okay. his writing, and we thought, "My God, this he's got this a kid's real got it, you know? a real spark." Mm. And so, and then if you had bought the good food issue today, he wrote the cover story. Okay, and he's really good. Yep, yep. Okay, so just just so at the moment, Jill. Now you were the cafe reviewer as well. Yes, for the, um, you're still doing that because you often used to be on facing pages sometimes in the that's right in the yeah. section, didn't you? Yeah, we were like, oh, I I had a recipe column every week for years and years. So mine was called Eating In. Yes, and then Terry's was <laughs> Eating Out. We sort of just covered the market I, entirely, and they came straight after each other. That yeah. was that was in the Herald, and, and then when we got back days. from England in '09. Um, I'm a bit of a coffee tragic, so I sort of talked them into doing a proper cafe column and then a cafe guide, um, and that lasted three or four years, I think, before we ran out of budget and and partners. But that was fun, and uh, and now I write more for the Financial Review magazine and okay. the food page in there. And. Uh- Terry, now the City Morning Herald, of course, the, 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 the sort of the review on every Tuesday. Yeah. Um, you don't miss many weeks in the year, do you? Do you I don't miss – well, I, I miss – there isn't a, uh, a, a, a lift out um, three weeks of the year, I okay. think. Okay. He won't. Straight, sorry, he refuses to I, miss. All right. By, by when there is a lift out, I'm in it. Yes. <laughs> it's as simple as if that. If we're going away on like – on holidays or something, I said, oh, come on, please, just, just can't we have a Terry Durek is away? <laughs> and he goes, nope, I'm filing before I go. <laughs> I feel the same as all those in- English guys who know what happens as soon as you let someone else have a sniff in on your column. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I've got to ask you about um, th- that column because it's a must-read every week. Now, your your rankings are very famous, the, the twenty. And you sort of detail down the bottom what the what the scores are worth, um, or how, how you judge it. You, you, you give a lot of, um, I guess, fourteen is probably your most common yeah score. It, just, it just... is my common score uh, because I don't ever review anywhere where I know uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, I go with the hope that it's somewhere that is worth recommending. And when you go with that kind of hope, it means you've got a, a certain level. So you probably hope it's at least a fourteen. Yeah, and then absolutely. If it's better, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. But but uh, and then occasionally, I mean, this year I've given a, a twelve and a half, and I've given several thirteens, and uh, 
And what's happening now, because they've upped the, the scores you have to get to even get in, in, into the good food guide, okay. that means if I give less than a 14, chances are it won't actually right. make the guide. Right. So now it actually hurts even more than it used to when you get under a certain score. Uh, yeah. but, but, no, but, but that's why everyone says, why always 14? Well, as it's turned out, my last 10 reviews, I've given one 14. Uh, but... Yeah, they're all around that area. It's an interesting exercise to go through, actually. And when we dine out with others, I always put them through the test. I say, okay, what what was the food out of 10? And they struggle with that. And then I say, what about the service and the whole experience of dining out of five? And then I say, what about the space, the place, the interior, the whole vibe there out of three? And then I say, and just get out of two, give me a point or two or none for that what we call the wow factor, the special magic. I mean, at a um, place like Bondi, uh, icebergs at Bondi, you'd obviously get one or two for that incredible view of those crashing surf I waves. I think you'd get three out of two for that or view. Or you might get uh, two f- because it's the most beautiful family-run restaurant uh, that trains refugees uh, and uh, does that beautifully. So, and... You can see in the you know the heads grappling with all these scores and everything, and then they look up and they go, "Oh, fourteen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, I easy usually to do. now I always score by hunch i mean I've been doing it for so long, I kind of know when something's a fifteen or something's yeah. an eighteen, you know, which is three hats, of course uh, uh, but but then you always say, no, no, no I, I don't want to know what you think it's worth. Do the maths. Exactly. Out of uh-huh. 10, out of 10 yep. for food. And I do it and it always comes to what I thought it was worth. So, so would 12 and a half be one of your lowest? No. You've given, what, you've, what, have, what have you given, gone down to? I've given a few years back. Wasn't it an I eight? G- I gave an eight. Oh, dear. Very early yeah. days. So that's still in business, that establishment? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Not that he had anything to do with no, that. Okay. That changed but anyway. The, but these days I don't know I, I would actually, well, I can't see that would have to. But you, yeah, yes, you say you wouldn't Because go. now I'm looking yeah. for restaurants that, that, that are going to be, be worth it. I mean, I always think it's why it's crazy to look for restaurants that you can actually uh, slam just just so to show how clever a writer you are. That seems to me cruel and senseless and not helping anybody. I always think the job of a restaurant reviewer is to try and find restaurants that his readers will want to go to. And that's that's always my ultimate aim. And when I do discover a 16 or a 17 or an 18, it's um, joy of joys. Yeah. I think Sepia recently got a 19. Probably my is highest. That, is it? Oh, okay. Mm, okay. I think I've given 19 once before, and I think it was probably... Key? I think it was Key. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and um, it it just blew me away. Uh, it, but he's changed so much in, in, in the past year, and I think he just thought, okay, this is my last year in Sydney. I want to do something special. And he made the whole thing Japanese. Wow. And it's virtually eating in a Japanese restaurant. Now. Yeah. You've already given us a couple of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so you book under an assu- another name. Always. Is there a murmur goes around the restaurant when you walk in the door? Um, Often? What a... Uh, well, we have a few um, picks up our sleeve. <laughs> uh, we don't ever walk in together. Okay. Because we're both, you know... Four foot eight, <laughs> <laughs> and that might be a dead giveaway. And the so, huge moustache I've got gives it away all the time. That's right, uh, and my blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll often go in first and practice no eye contact and do the uh, the false name and head down, no face towards the kitchen, and be given the table near the loo at the back, and and then wait, and then. Durak arrives and <laughs> makes his way down. And I just have this radar now where I can tell if the third waitress over there's face turns towards us and then walks over to the kitchen in a particular way. <laughs> and then there's a huddle. And then there's a, and then inevitably something is dropped. Yeah. <laughs> because when suddenly spotted, people are nervous. They drop things all around you. <laughs> You can hear the cutlery going or a plate dropping or a glass there, yeah. And the clever ones, you know, they, they there are really good, intelligent ways to deal with having a restaurant critic in your in your restaurant. There are some less intelligent ways. You know, we never appreciate um, being offered free things uh, or um, we do appreciate just 
a welcome, a hello, um, and please treat us as the most perfectly normal couple because that's why we do it as a couple because that's like how normal people eat out and we yeah. want to be treated. What you have to do now, you have to actually be as interested in what the tables around you are having and what, what, what they're being served compared to what you're being served. And uh, if their food and they've ordered the same thing that you have and theirs is half the size or, you know, pretty scrappily mm. thrown together on a plate, you review their dish and not yours. Okay. Yeah. Do you take copious notes or would you ever go back and ask questions at a later date or...? We used to. Um, we... <laughs> we actually started early, early off. Days. We, we used to we used record to take, it. We take a tape recorder oh, really? in okay. Jill's handbag, and of course, uh-huh. we spend the whole night talking into the handbag. <laughs> but then, of course, you got all the transcribing, and as mm. you probably know, transcribing no. is the worst task in the world. It's, it's not fun, is it? Do. No. No. So then, I used to write like furious, and and then I used to draw what was on the plate, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm not an artist, and so often, you know, a couple of days later, I'd open my notebook and go. What the hell was that? <laughs> Not being able to work out what my drawing was. So then, now, then yeah. came the uh, smart smart cameras, and uh, you know now. Oh, it's, now it's so easy yeah. because I'll take a very discreet sort of photo of every dish as it hits the table, like everyone else in the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, um, and I might just look like you know Terry's sort of talking to me, telling me what he thinks about it, and I might be inputting it into my phone as if I'm being the rudest wife in the world doing my emails while he's talking <laughs> to me um, and and he'll do the same thing. And so then the next day we've got it all there ready to go. Yeah, it's it, great. It, it makes life easier. And, now yes, a follow-up uh, interview. Yeah. Um, if it's, if it's going to be a particularly high score or a particularly low score, that's probably where we'd actually do we more. we go back. Yeah, or sometimes email them for some specific information or... Um, or, yeah, no, that's probably about all, yeah. Just uh, two more things before I let you go quickly. The um, Do you have differing opinions very often about the <laughs> similar or the same food? Do we ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yes, do. Yes, dear. Yeah. <laughs> we, do, uh, we, we do agree a lot, mm. but yeah. when but, what there are, the, the odd occasion will spring up where we'll take completely opposite stances on something. Okay. Yeah, and we'll do those, the, the math that I was talking about, we'll do those scores separately um, and then we'll sort of work out if there's a discrepancy, why. And, then, and and I actually think, and I said this to Terry the other day, our real strength of two writers being married, eating together, working together and practically writing together too. We often edit each other's work before uh, filing it. Um it's not the writing that is our real strength, it's the talking. It's the way we just talk everything through all the time. We do argue, we do debate. We're sitting up in bed in the morning going, no bloody way is that a 16, <laughs> etc. And that's, it means you're thinking about it all the time, you're totally engaged and you are defending your position um, against someone who knows exactly what you're talking about. It's quite an advantage for us that we are talking all the time because it's what the other one says suddenly ends up the opening sentence in your review. Yeah, you know? exactly. You go, well, that's very clever. <laughs> and that's, that's what we do. And we do actually spur each other on like that. Yeah. Lastly, uh, travel. We were lucky enough to talk to uh, Anthony Dennis a couple of weeks ago about the great things that's happening at the the Herald, that, that great section they have on weekends now on, on both it days. It is such a good section, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And it's it? doing yeah. so well. Yeah. Great. And they're, they're launching their own tours and you obviously both love travel and, and it's always been good writing about reading what you, you know, recommend to people when they travel in terms of food, but you're now also taking part in some of these tours. Is that I right? I know. Yeah, we're we so excited. <laughs> um, yeah, because the, the merging of food and travel is fantastic and, and, yes, we can write about travel with a food element or food with a travel element quite happily. But uh, we're actually hosting a cruise in Bordeaux in August for Traveller and for our readers. And we actually can't wait. It's going to be huge fun, I reckon. Yeah, this, well, I hope it, it's going to be fun. This only started about five years ago when Jill suddenly out of the blue got this urge to go cruising. And I, and I kept saying, I'm too young to go cruising. You know, I don't have a walking frame. I have none of the, the necessary requirements for cruising. And know. I said, ah, but cruising has changed. Yeah. And, you know, there's some of the, because it's now so niche 
that they're positioning themselves mm. quite. There's a, an economy class sort of ship. There's a family ship. There's a business class type ship, like Oceania, for instance. There's no children on board at all, and so. We just went, and also one of the big changes that's brought the age group down is um, the Wi-Fi, having internet access. So you've got 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds running their own business from the mm. middle of the Mediterranean. Um, and so that brings it down. So does the um, shorter lengths of the cruises. I mean, if you're going to go on an 80-day, you really do have to be <laughs> 80 yeah. and retired. But uh, I think it's still... changed. Though. If you look at uh, what happens in Europe, we will. Well, we've had a couple of cruises that have been eight-day cruises, or say um, probably twelve-day cruises. But um, n- nearly every single day of that cruise, you arrive at a new port. Yeah. And you get mm-hmm. off the boat mm-hmm. at six or seven o'clock in the morning, stay in in that town or that area all day. You get back on the boat at six o'clock, have your meal. Ship takes off. You go to sleep. Wake up. You're in another port. Uh, stop it, I want to go now. No, no. <laughs> but I actually think it's a really good initiative, though, because our readers are really well-travelled, they're mm. interested, they're, and Anthony's been devising these um, tours not just with food but with architecture in America and um, cherry blossoms in Japan. And he, wherever you go all over the world, you will find an Australian expat uh, living there entrenched, immersed in that country, and Anthony finds them and pulls them in and makes them part of this tour. So we've actually found three or four different chateaus run by Australians who've married the beautiful French girl and now run, make the wine in Bordeaux, and we're going off to visit them all, which will be huge fun. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, that's... um, uh, Scenic do those on those long, low barges, uh, and it's just going to be... Interesting. Yeah. All right. Look, uh, congratulations on this, um, the latest um, top 100. Um, thanks so much for coming in today and um, have a great cruise. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank very much. you. It's been fantastic just to talk through all this stuff and, <laughs> and actually to have time to talk it through too. I think this well, podcast yeah, thing's got. <laughs> good yeah, we don't idea. often talk about food that much, do we? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Cheers. <laughs>